0: It's Fox Top 5, the podcast where the hosts always agree to disagree. This week on Fox Top 5, Shannon Bream. So I look and just see such wisdom and bravery in her and hope that it will be inspiring to all of us who feel overwhelmed sometimes by what we're facing or what we're called to do. Comes on to share her list of the top five women of the Bible. Here's this week's host, Shannon Bream. Welcome to Fox Top 5. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and host of the podcast, Live in the Bream. Each week on this podcast, Fox hosts, reporters, and personalities share their top five on any given topic. So here goes this week. Whether you grew up going to Sunday school, reading the Bible, maybe you haven't picked it up in years, or maybe it's intimidating or you're not interested. Well, there are so many inspiring and timeless stories in scripture, and many people do not realize what a big role women played over and over again in these stories. So I'm here to talk about this in my new book, The Women of the Bible Speak. I highlight some amazing tales about the women of the Bible, their journeys, what we can learn from them, how we can be encouraged by them. There are so many powerful and heroic women in scripture. So i I'm here to share my own list of top five women of the Bible. This is way too hard to do. So I'm just going to say these are five who really stood out to me in this book. But there are dozens and dozens of women, and it would be impossible to rank them. Uh, The book actually puts together 16 different women. We study them in depth. We pair them up. So there are eight chapters looking at these women together, what common threads they have, what common lessons we can learn from them. Um, But I also did a bonus chapter at the end with eight additional women. And we see how they interacted with Jesus and how he really changed the norms of the time and the way that he went to women who were outcasts who were not considered to be a good part of society, part of the mainstream. But he went to them where they were. He showed them love and acceptance and forgiveness. So I wanted to include them, too. So let me just tell you about five of the women we included in Women of the Bible. Speak what you can get at foxnews.com books. Number five. OK, coming in at number five, I want to start with Hannah. She is a person who shows us so many lessons, including that she wasn't from a big name, famous family, wealthy, any person of position at all. But her story is important because of where it leads us and what it teaches us on the way. She was a, a humble woman. Her husband, Elkanah, as was the custom in that time, had another wife. Her name was Penaniah, and she was not really nice to Hannah. Hannah. Was barren. She didn't have children. And it was considered such a gift or a blessing of God in those times to have a child, maybe God showing his favor to you. So Hannah was distraught about this and she would grieve over this infertility issue. And Penaniah, the other wife who had plenty of children, We're told that she would lord it over her, that she was unkind to her. So Hannah is not only suffering in that she doesn't have these children she so deeply desires, but she's got somebody in her own household who is mocking and hurting her over that. But here's the thing. Elkanah, the husband, he loved Hannah. He saw what she was going through. And so they would go. Uh, as was part of the custom to the temple every year to make sacrifices. And here's what scripture tells us in 1 Samuel. It says Elkanah would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penaniah. This is the one who was not very kind to Hannah and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. He cared about her. So here's what happened every year when they would go up and they would have these sacrifices. Hannah would go to the temple and pour out her heart. She would pray and she would ask God, please bless me with a child. And she would be troubled and weeping. And Alcana would notice that her husband and say, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? He said to her, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? That says a lot to me about their marriage, that there was love there. This wasn't simply a business transaction or a family merger as was often the case in those times where the woman was uh, expected to produce heirs and that was her primary role. Elkanah, we see real love for her here. He says, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? I love you, I care about you. And he, it hurt him to see her so hurt. So remember her hurt was not just about the children that she couldn't have, but the fact that she was being tormented about it. In 1 Samuel 1, 10 and 11, we see her in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. So she went to him in her misery and said lord please don't forget me please see me please remember me year after year now one of these years she was praying in the temple and the priest eli he got the wrong first impression which we all do this don't we sometimes get the wrong first impression of someone he went to her and basically said you need to get out of here are you drunk what's going on she was moving her lips but she wasn't speaking out loud and that was actually unusual for that time to be praying he said how long are you going to stay drunk put away your wine Hannah said, not so, my Lord. I was actually pouring my soul out to the Lord. I've not been drinking wine or beer. Do not take me for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Now, we see no indication that Hannah actually told Eli why she was so troubled. But he sent her on her way with blessing. And he said, may the Lord of God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. So here's what happens. She goes home. She gets pregnant with her son, Samuel. Samuel. And just as she had promised when he is weaned, she goes back to the temple on these annual visits and she says to Eli, this was the son I was praying for that you told me to go and that God would grant, you would ask him to grant my wish here. And he did. So she gave Samuel then over to Eli and we're told that every year when she went up to the temple, she would make him a robe and she would look forward to taking it to him. But imagine turning over a child we think was probably about three years old, this child you had longed for so that you could fulfill your promise to God. So... So many lessons here, faithfulness, prayer, being willing to share your misery, be vulnerable with your grief, keeping this vow to God. And she was blessed with other children as well. And Samuel went on to be such a key figure in the Old Testament as a prophet and as the one who led to David becoming the king of Israel. So, so many twists and turns there from this woman, Hannah, who was not prominent, who had a problem that very many women can express, this this grief over wanting a child and infertility, but about being faithful and asking God to hear her. And he did, he was gracious to answer her. And she then gave that child in service to God. So Hannah is my number five. Number four. Let's talk about number four. You all probably know the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible. These two sisters who were in the New Testament, they were people who were very close to Jesus. They were part of his friend group and people who traveled with him. And because of that, we can see that they had a very close relationship with him along with their brother Lazarus a lot of scholars think that time it wouldn't have been as common for women to be around religious teaching and that kind of thing but we know they supported him in his ministry and if you are familiar uh, with this part of the bible the two sisters are hosting jesus in their home and sometimes there's a question are you martha or are you mary because mary was sitting at jesus feet she was learning from him and martha was getting frazzled she's trying to wait on everybody to be hospitable to, you know, serve drinks, food, whatever the custom was, she was there to make sure these people were comfortable and waited on as Jesus was there teaching. She's hosting him and the disciples. Well, Mary is there at Jesus's feet and Martha thinks, well, Jesus needs to know about this. And it says that she went to him and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. This was in Luke 10. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. This is Luke 10 verses 38 through 42. Now, I'm not choosing Mary over Martha, Martha over Mary. I just think it's important here that Jesus said, listen, both of you are doing important things, but I'm not gonna take away from Mary that she's chosen to sit at my feet and learn. I think it's so easy for us to become busy if we are involved in the church or ministry or Bible study, good things in service to other people and helping. But if we're so caught up in the tasks of what we're doing and we're not making the time as Mary did to actually sit and learn from Jesus and fellowship with him, we're missing the core of our faith, which is really to find our relationship with Christ, to spend time with him, to be fed through that so we then can serve others. Um, Mary also we see a little bit later in the story she decides that she is going to pour out this very expensive perfume or ointment she's also going to pour that on jesus's feet and use her hair to clean his feet often in these times when people would travel through they would wear sandals they'd get very dusty their feet would be cleaned when they come to a new home so here mary poured out this exceptionally precious thing well one of the disciples went to jesus and said Listen, this could have been used to sell and give money to the poor. This is Judas, by the way, who, you know, not the most upstanding of the disciples and may have had his own reasons for wanting to get his hands on that money. But Mary doesn't defend herself. And again, Jesus, we see, uh, defends her and says, you know what, you won't always have me. You will have the port of minister, but what she's doing is an important sacrifice for me. Um, She was vulnerable to him. She gave probably what was her most valuable asset in that time. So again, we see through Martha and Mary, both are doing good things, but Mary is making that time to really elevate and worship Jesus, to cultivate a relationship with him. And I think that's a good, important reminder for all of us. The countdown continues after this. number three. Now, number three, Queen Esther. Her story, even if you aren't somebody who studies the Bible, I think you've probably heard of. I studied it a lot growing up, but here's the thing. I learned so much going back through Women of the Bible Speak to learn even more about her. Remember, she was, this is a time when the Jewish people were displaced. They they weren't in a homeland of their own. They were all over the place and they were spread out. They didn't have Uh, that common national area for them, that that body or that countryside that was theirs. They were living in many other lands. So Esther is here. We know that she's orphaned. She is taken in by Mordecai, who is an uncle, we believe, um, an elder relative of hers, and he's raising her. So they are in Persia, uh, this area where the Jewish people um, are not in their own homeland, but they're dispersed. But they common they have a common heritage. And we know that uh, it was important to them. This story is like a Hollywood blockbuster. It's so many twists and turns, like a soap opera, it would be a great movie or a show if you were doing it today. Because what happened was the king had a queen, Vashti. He got very angry with her. And he banished her. He basically said, you're not the queen anymore. Sorry, folks, this is how it worked back then. So the king decides and his uh, elders and advisors to have sort of a country-wide or empire-wide beauty contest to bring in women to find him a new queen. Now, this sounds very sort of demoralizing or dehumanizing to think that all of these women were brought in. But Esther goes, we don't know that it was by a choice or if it was simply all the women of the land were called to come in of a certain age or certain beauty, but they came in and they received treatments for 12 months to get them ready with nutrition and oils and all kinds of things. And when Esther came before the queen, we're told that he just, he chose her about everyone else. Her beauty was striking. Now, Mordecai had told her, don't tell him about your background Don't tell him you're Jewish or anything else. Just go in there and do your best in this contest. And the king falls for her and he chooses her. So there's a big wedding. She becomes the queen now of Persia. Now, during this time, Mordecai is being persecuted for his faith, for his background as a Jewish man. There is a man named Haman within the empire who is very close to the king, a top advisor. He doesn't like Mordecai because when he sees Mordecai at the city gates, Mordecai will not bow down to him and uh Haman takes this as an insult he cooks up this plan to get rid of Mordecai and all the rest of the Jewish people he goes to the king and he says there are people within our kingdom who are uh, sort of a threat to you these are agitators they don't obey your laws and of course he's trying to get rid of Mordecai and he says to the king uh let me get rid of them let me take care of them And and the king says well of course this threat internal let's do it And he gives Haman all of the authority that the king would have through his seal, through his ring to set about this decree that all the Jewish people were to be exterminated, to be destroyed. So Mordecai is grieving greatly over this. Apparently Queen Esther does not know at the time about this, but she knows that she's hearing that Mordecai is at the city gates, that he is weeping and mourning. She sends him clothes and food, he turns them away. And she says tell me what's wrong with him and the message is brought back to her about what has happened that her entire people are going to be wiped out under this plan cooked up by haman and with the king's approval so esther he pleads to her for help and esther knows that in this time and in this place she cannot go before the king without being summoned because if she does essentially what happens is she could be killed if you approach the king without being summoned he could call for your life at that point. Now we don't know how long it had been since she'd seen him. I think it was a, a, a period of time, maybe 30 days, maybe more. But I, I know that it had been a while since she um, had seen the king. And so she, for her to go in to him would have been risking her life. Um, Mordecai wanted her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Esther 4.8 tells us that. And she, she talks about the fact that she was worried Uh, that she could be put to death mordecai says to her do not think that because you are in the king's house you alone of all the jews will escape for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this That's Esther four verses 12 through 14. We hear that phrase a lot for such a time as this, because Esther's story is such an amazing weaving together of all these improbable details and twists and turns so that she was there at that moment. So she says to Mordecai, please have all of the Jewish people fast. I will fast as well. And then at the end of that time, I will go to the King. I will risk my life and try to save my people. And so um, she was asking her people to rally their power and probably God's favor. And she says, um, when this is done, this fasting period, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So she did that. She went to the king and through that, he didn't turn her away or send her to death. He welcomed her and said, what can I do for you? They have these conversations. She asks him to throw a meal a banquet. And even then he says, what can I give you up to half of my kingdom? God had placed her in such a place to have enormous favor with this king. She doesn't ask right away. They have another banquet. She invites Haman, the bad guy who's trying to get all the Jewish people killed, and then drops the bomb in front of him and says, there is someone who wants to kill me and all of my people, the Jewish faith, that's where I'm from. And um, the king is very unhappy about it, sees and realizes that it is Haman. And man, there are so many other twists and turns that get us to this point. And what he does is, knowing he cannot revoke that original decree, he then gives power to Esther and Mordecai to do a superseding decree that the Jewish people will be allowed not only to defend themselves in any way they choose, but they'll also be able to pursue the spoils of the people who come after them. And it's an amazing story of how Esther um, was placed through God's guiding hand into the perfect place at the perfect time. She was afraid, we know that, but she stepped forward in courage and she went as the as God had placed her to ask for mercy for her people and saved the entire Jewish nation. You don't want to miss that story in the book because there's so much more I'm not telling you, but it is amazing the providence and all of the path and the steps along the way. So Esther's at three. Number two. two. All right, let's talk about number two. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is so highly esteemed, and we know that she, as a young woman, was asked to do amazing things. She was approached uh, by an angel. The angel Gabriel came to her and said, as she is a young woman, unmarried, but betrothed, And says to her, "Um, you're going to have the savior of the world. God is going to visit upon you. You are going to supernaturally have this child. And I got to imagine if you were a young woman in this place and thinking, how am I going to explain this to people? She was faithful. She said this. She said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on. All generations will call me blessed. Blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She goes on praising and talking um, about how she's just someone humble, but that she's going to live out this most amazing assignment. That particular version is in Luke one. And so, you know, Joseph, I'm thinking she's going to have to explain this to Joseph and her family, you know, an angel visited Joseph as well. So he knew his place in this. So we talk about in the book, Women of the Bible Speak, about Mary and her faithfulness through this, her relying on God's provision, her humility at being chosen to bear this uh, enormous and blessed role. That's People are so familiar with that part of the story if you know and follow in a person of the Christian faith, or you just have an awareness of it. So we see a lot of that in the story, but we also go through in the book and talk about her role as Jesus' mother. How she is there and key points of his ministry. How it seems at times, even though she knew he was divine, he was the Son of God. Um, she was also raising a human person. So we talk on that uh, and, and talk about that in the in the reality of how that played out. But I wanted to go all the way through the end of the story as well. After Jesus had been crucified, we see Mary at the cross, and no mother can possibly imagine or fathom that moment. It is devastating to lose a child in any way, but to have to watch your child be taken, falsely accused and killed in front of you. I cannot imagine the overwhelming grief and sorrow that must have broken her heart in that moment. But I thought it was important to talk through her whole story. So we see her at the cross and in the days after that as well, she is in an upper room with the disciples who were devastated, who may not understand where they are at this moment in history. Was Jesus not who they thought he was? Did they misunderstand what he said about his kingdom. They're in these days before his resurrection, but we see Mary praying among them. She was there faithfully. Um, She was not someone who turned and revoked and thought this wasn't right, that she had heard wrong. She knew from the beginning, from that first visit from the angel Gabriel, that this was divine and that this would be the savior and the Messiah. And we see her praying faithfully with those earliest members of the Christian church as we come to know it. So knowing that Mary was faithful from the beginning, the middle to the end, we can see how she was then part of the building blocks of the original church. And um, she was a prayer warrior. She was faithful. She stood uh, knowing probably the journey that she would walk with Jesus would be trying, that it would be difficult, maybe not knowing what she would end up having to witness there as he was on the cross. But she didn't run from that. She was there and she was there in the days that followed. And then his resurrection, the building of the early church, Mary, the mother of Jesus as number two, number, 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 number one, Five, four, three. number one, number one, in the women I want to highlight for the book, women of the Bible speak is Deborah. And I've talked a lot about her in conversations about the book because she was so unusual. In the Old Testament, she was the only woman I see recorded who was a leader of Israel. She was a judge at a time when that sort of was the leadership framework for Israel. People came to her with disputes uh, to settle theological questions, legal questions, arguments that they were having. And Israel was not in a good place, we're told at this time. Their highway system had become so dangerous with crime and being overrun that the people of Israel didn't even use the highways. They were being oppressed on all sides. Deborah is a judge in the midst of this. God goes to her and says, Deborah, I want you to go into battle against the Canaanites. This was a powerful nation of people who were oppressing and tormenting the people of Israel, but they were so far more advanced and organized with wealth, with chariots, with weaponry. And we see no hesitation from Deborah. She calls in Israel's top general, Barak, and she says, hey, God has commanded us to go into battle against the Canaanites. Gather the men you need and let's get going. And Barak is probably looking at this through human eyes and says, whoa, 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 I'll do this, but only if you come with me. Clearly, people knew that Deborah was anointed by God. And she said, okay, I'll go with you. But remember this, the opposing army's general, General Sisera, Because you hesitated and I'm going into battle with you, Sisera will be delivered into the hands of a woman. She will get the glory and the credit for that. So, you know, I remember learning about this story years ago and thinking that she meant Deborah was going to be the one who would get credit. But that's not what happens. What we see is Barak is then faithful. He gathers together the men. Some of the Israelites don't want to get involved, but thousands of them do come into this battle. And they go in. No one's going to think they can win. God is on their side, though. And when he is on your side, you can overcome whatever you are facing, whatever enemy, spiritually or earthly, that is coming against you. We saw Deborah was faithful when others would have been frightened and hesitant, as we all are when we're called to do things that we don't think we're capable of. They go into battle. And the thing about the Canaanites I mentioned, they had 900 chariots. Israel, I don't think, had any. But... God sent rains so heavy that they flooded. There was mud. The chariots were no good because they got stuck in the mud. Israel completely routes the Canaanites. The only person left standing is that opposing general Sisera. He goes running off to a place that he thinks will be one of safety. That's the story we hear of Jael. And you got to read about in the book what happens, but let me tell you, she takes care of Sisera, and that's the fulfillment of Deborah's prophecy that she gave to Barak that a woman would get credit for taking out General Sisera, and Yael does that. We see two really strong women in this chapter, Deborah and Yael, who did not hesitate when they were called to act against insurmountable, what people would think are insurmountable odds. So I looked at Deborah and just see such wisdom and bravery in her and hope that it will be inspiring to all of us who feel overwhelmed sometimes by what we're facing or what we're called to do. So again, these are just a few of the women, my top five for today, but there are dozens of women in the Bible who give us inspiration and hope, challenges and encouragement. This book includes queens, it includes prostitutes, it includes people who made messes of their lives and yet God redeemed all of it. We can see how he worked through every one of these stories. So if you've gotten off the path, that's okay too. God's always there waiting for you. And we see redemption in these stories of these women who got off the path, who took matters into their own hands, often created terrible consequences, but they were still redeemed in the end when they turned back to God and asked for his help thank you so much for listening to this top five podcast please subscribe rate and review this podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify or at foxnewspodcast.com let us know your top five and be sure to pre-order my new book women of the bible speak it's at foxnews.com books i pray it will encourage you